Hey guys, this is Sharad with Resimply. I'm the host of Resimply podcast. Really excited to have Eric Brewer on this podcast today. We've been trying to schedule Eric for a while, so I'm really excited that he's, you know, agreed to spare some time for us and come on this podcast. Welcome, Eric. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate yeah, you having so much me. for coming up. Yeah, absolutely, man. Our pleasure. Eric, like, why don't we get started? Tell us a little bit about yourself, about your background you know, your real estate journey, and then we can go from there. Um, so you said about myself, I've been in real estate since 2006, so 17 years. Currently have 40, couple, 40 to 43, 44 uh, employees, most of which are um, in office. Uh, we have probably 10 or so that are virtual. Uh, I have six children. Uh, I've been married to my wife, Sonia, for 10 years. Um, that's a little bit about me. My journey in real estate started after eight years in the car business. And before I was in the car business, I was in the U.S. Army and sort of ended up in the car business because there was nothing else for me to do. I was a avionics communications repairman in the U.S. Army. And when I got out, there wasn't a whole lot of civilian applications for that job in South Central Pennsylvania. So I applied at a, a car dealership for like a $7.50 hour job. I would just park cars at a Mercedes dealership wow. and uh, it was fun. It was cool. I mean, I, I didn't need a whole lot of money back then. Then there was an opportunity to work evenings in their detail department where they washed and waxed and cleaned cars that were being sold. So I was like, Hey, I don't have anything going on. I'll, I'll go work evenings too. So I was working from like 7am to 10pm parking cars and then cleaning cars. And I was making good money and uh, my work ethic caught the attention of some of the management there and they decided to move me into uh, what's called an assistant service manager or a service advisor position, which is when you bring your car in for routine maintenance, they'll advise you if there's repairs or deferred maintenance that you need to, to have done or they suggest uh, should be done. And I did really well at that, eventually moved into sales. Did really good at sales, moved into sales management, and about three and a half years after I was uh, at the dealership, I was like third in command at the dealership. Um, I'd worked my way up to the near top of sales managers at a Toyota, Suzuki, uh, Mercedes franchise. That's so amazing. we had 200 and some employees, four locations. And uh, I was making a whole bunch of money. I was 24 or 25 years old. Yeah. So anyway, by the time I was 28, my first child was born and I'm working 75 hours a week, starting to get a little burned out by the, the car business. Just kind of made the decision that I wasn't going to do that for the rest of my life. So transitioned out of the automobile industry, went through some soul searching and some due diligence about what my next move would be. Figured real estate was a good place for me. And I had sold a bunch of cars and had some friends that were mortgage lenders, real estate agents, appraisers. And uh, so I talked to a few of them to just try and get a feel for what it was like doing what they did, what the hours were like, how much money they could make. I decided I wanted to start in real estate uh, in finance. So I took a job at a mortgage company and uh, did really well with that. I was basically it's like 2005, calling refi internet leads. And like each day they hand me like a stack of paper with leads on it. And I would just cold call the snot out of them. I made a whole bunch of money and hardly worked. It was like a, you know, a dream come true. 
And uh, yes, I had done that for just less than a year. And my old mentor from the car business uh, called me and said, Hey, I'm, you know, selling the dealership. I've um, tried being retired. That didn't work for me. And I have an idea about how um, I think we can make a bunch of money in real estate. And I'd like to talk to you about working together. So I had lunch with him a few days later. He basically, you know, pitched me flipping houses. I didn't even know that was a thing back in 2006. I thought it was a great idea. I had a tremendous amount of trust and respect uh, for Craig Rich, who was my mentor and owned the automobile dealership, literally taught me everything I ever knew about life and sales and marketing and management. So February 2006, we started a real estate company. Didn't really know what we were doing. Did some marketing through TV and billboards. Bought 70 homes our first year. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, now that's coming out of the, say the same thing. It sounds like a lot, but we came from a car dealership that was selling Makes, like yeah. 500 cars a month. So in perspective, it didn't seem like a lot to us. Certainly way more work than selling a car. All 70, I wouldn't do again. Some of those were bad deals. We lost money, took way too much time, all that good stuff. But we did about 70 deals our first year, um, grew by leaps and bounds, literally every year. By our third year, we were selling 200 homes a year. Um, obviously, 2008 happened in there. Uh, we had to transition, went from you know buying off the MLS and flipping to getting really good at short sales and pre-foreclosures, buying direct from seller. Did a ton of installment sales agreements back then because nobody could get a mortgage. And we right. had all the property for sale. So uh, we had really, really good lines of credit with local banks. And we would have people that would come to us all the time with 600 credit scores and $25,000 down and they couldn't get a loan. So we would sell them on installment sales agreements um, on top of flipping and didn't really wholesale back then. Um, so we were doing about 50 or 60 installment sales agreements every month uh, or every year and about 150 just normal flips. About 2014, the market started to recover and uh, people got back into wholesaling, got back into flipping homes. We joined a mastermind to learn direct to seller because we, for the first six to eight years of our business, we bought 90% of our inventory off the MLS and uh, joined a mastermind in 14, learned a ton about direct mail, radio, PPC, you know, all that good stuff, cold calling, implemented that into our business. And uh, in 2016, 2017, I bought out my partner. He retired, moved to Florida. And uh, now we do, we should do 400 transactions this year, uh, about 50% wholesale, 50% novations. And we may do 45, 50 fix and flips. So that's what it, uh, hopefully the history looks like and gives you a little um, insight as to what the business looks like today. That's incredible, man. I think you came out of the gate so strong with like 70 deals in the first year, but you're right. When you put it in perspective of doing 500, selling 500 cars a month is like, oh, yeah. you know, 70 years, it's nothing. And then the first year, it's interesting that I think you're the only one that I've heard came out, you know, first year doing billboards and TV ads. I mean, you, you guys obviously had big vision. So after you bought out your partner, you were doing still flipping until then, then what kind of yeah. led into wholesaling innovation? Like what was that transition? Yeah. So I actually, um, I started doing innovations back in 2009. Okay. And the reason was, is because we were flipping 
all of our homes. And in 2006, 2007, nobody used FHA mortgages uh, because you could get subprime loans, 80-20 loans. It was so easy to get a mortgage that no one used FHA. Immediately when the market started to, to unwind and banks started closing down, every person that was crazy enough to buy a home in 2008, 9, and 10 was using FHA financing. Well, the problem with FHA financing on our flips is they have seasoning requirements, which for anybody that's listening that's not familiar with that, it means if I buy a house today and I have a buyer that's using FHA financing that wants to buy it from me the same day, we can't even write a contract for 91 days. Right. And then if the property increases by more than 100% in value, it requires two appraisals. So those deals were just very difficult, especially as the mortgage industry was having a complete collapse. FHA underwriters would sometimes just reject a loan because it was a flipped property. And they really? would see, wow. oh yeah, it was, Interesting. it was extremely difficult to get a mortgage back then, especially if you were buying a home that was flipped and there was evidence of a significant right. pretty good spread. spread in there. Yeah. yeah. So I started looking for solutions because it was having a massive impact on my business. I mean, we went from buying, renovating, and selling a home in three months to now it's taken six or seven months. And I started looking for solutions to the seasoning requirement. And as I was working with my title attorney, he said, well, you know, all of this seasoning triggered and starts when you record the deed. If we could figure out a way that you didn't have to record the deed, um, there wouldn't be any seasoning. Like, okay, well, how the heck do I do that? So, you know, we kept looking, can't assign it. And he introduced me to Novations. Um, Brad Leber at MPL Law, who's still my title attorney today, introduced me to the theory of Novations in 2008 or nine. I spent a lot of time like learning it and sort of building out some process. And then um, around 2009, uh, the U.S. government, I think for the first time and probably the last time ever in my life, did something that positively impacted me. And they offered an FHA flip waiver. And what happened was they noticed that there was all of this foreclosure inventory and they really needed investors to buy it. But investors were reluctant to buy it because when they turn around right. and sell it. A um, seasoning issue. Correct. Yeah. So they said, hey, it, you, no more seasoning. They got rid of 90 day seasoning. Um, as long as you it, had, did, it didn't matter how much the spread was, didn't matter. Nothing. Because okay. Every every deal had to have two appraisals. So they said, hey, if it passes the FHA inspection report and you have two appraisals at or above value, you're good. You're good. So I was like, oh, sweet jackpot. So I went back to business as usual. Plus, now the easiest thing in the world to do in 2008, 9, and 10 was to buy a good deal off the MLS. I mean, there was a right. hundred foreclosures just out there, and I could pick the best one that I wanted. And, name my price because nobody else was buying homes. So we were fine. And then in 2010 or 11, that FHA flip wa uh, waiver expired. They did away with it. And now it's back to square one. And that's when I started implementing Novations. Um, I The first handful of Novations I did were at public auctions. In Pennsylvania, a lot of estates, probates, elderly people um, will call an auctioneer. They pay two or 3%. Um, they'll market it for 60 days, a hundred people show up to the auction and the highest bidder gets the property. Um, it's as is closed in 60 days, no inspections. So it's a clean way to sell to an investor where you pay commissions, but 
you don't really know what the price is going to be. It's a little bit of a gamble because you may think the house is worth 150 in the day of the auction, it's raining, four people show up and the high bidder is 70, right? So in Pennsylvania, they'll have reserve and no reserve auctions. No reserve means highest bidder. Whatever the highest bidder is, yeah. yeah, gets the house. So most of the public auctions that we would see here were they had a reserve. So I would go to the auction, let's say my cash price is 100, high bids 98, seller says no, no deal. All the other buyers leave. I walk up to the attorney, the auctioneer, and the seller, who are all three there, and say, hey, I think I may have a way to make this work. If you'll work with me a little bit on access, most of the homes are all vacant. And if you don't mind settling in, say, 90 business days instead of 60, um, I think I could maybe come up closer to the, the number that you were looking for. Let's say it's 120, right? And every other investor is capped out at 100 to 105. And I can pay 120 because I know retail in its current condition to an FHA buyer who I can sell to because I'm not taking deed, maybe 150. So they go, well, yeah, if you'll do 120 and sign a hold harmless. So if you're here showing the house and you trip and fall and break your leg, you can't sue us. And, um, you know, we'd obviously have to work on the contingencies and things of that sort. But I made a deal. First time I pitched one on innovation, it was a public auction. I think it was very similar. Max bid was 100. They wanted 120. I went to 120. Uh, I thought it would sell retail for 150 uh, to a, a FHA buyer. I got the contract. I got a key. I put a lockbox on it. I got professional pictures. We had 15 showings and some sucker offered 150 minus seller's help. We countered at 159 minus seller's help where I netted 150. We closed in 50 days or 45 days or whatever. And I went to settlement. The you seller got there 120. Uh, the bank brought 150. I paid the realtor and walked away with about $22,000 profit. I was like, holy smokes. So you didn't have to take title on that property. No. Right. So in, in this case, did you put any money in the property? Zero. But what if you had to? What would happen in those situations? So, yeah, this is a so big just difference. actually, Eric, let's back up a little bit. Like if you could just like explain somebody who doesn't know what novation is, like yeah. what is it and how does it work? Then we can go into some specifics. Good point. So if, if someone's listening to this, they probably know what wholesale and assignment is. So I'll, I'll, I'll use a comparison to explain what innovation is. Wholesale assignment is generally a fixer-upper that's bought at a deep discount and sold to an investor who's going to fix it up, right? Right. The novation, the, the actual term means replacement. So if you think assignment is where you assign your interest in the property for a profit, novation means replacement. Why is that important? Because when you replace your contract, it now becomes financeable to conventional buyers, retail buyers using FHA, VA, Fannie Mae financing, right? An assignment on a wholesale deal is not financeable. You can't, you can't assign a property to an FHA or VA buyer. So once, once you know that you can sell to retail buyers, novations generally are not fixer-uppers. They're homes that are in good, mechanical, solid condition that may need a little bit of cosmetic or a lot of cosmetic improvements, but they have what we call like good bones, right? They're structurally sound, mechanically sound, which means they'll pass an FHA appraisal condition inspection. And they'll generally breeze through a home inspection, right? There's no large mechanical, you know, repairs needed or uh, structural issues like we see on most wholesale deals, right? right. It's, it's a completely different animal, sort of. the the Because the, when, when you think about a wholesale deal, you'll say, hey, man, 
The more messed up it is, the better, because we know that if we have a messed up house, the seller will probably sell it super cheap. With Novations, like literally you can monetize every house. If the seller will sell it for say 80, 85% of retail value, current condition retail value, you can make a deal because you have no closing costs, no renovations, um, you pay realtor commissions, but it's such a small percent. So Novation means replacement of an agreement, not an assignment of an agreement like wholesale. And because it's replacement, it means that your deals that you get under contract, you have the ability to take to the MLS and sell to an owner-occupant retail buyer at retail prices. So let's say I am the seller. You come to me. We signed an ovation agreement, right? For let's say hundred thousand. Property yeah. is worth one fifty. What happens yeah. after that? Um, I listed on the MLS with a local real estate agent. I get professional pictures. We, when I say stage, we may um, declutter organize a little bit because even nice homes with people that are selling them oftentimes to an investor, they didn't prepare the property for sale. So we may declutter and stage a little bit, just meaning that we'll we'll go in and just straighten up. We market it to FHA, VA, USDA buyers with a local real estate agent in the MLS. Agents show the property. They give feedback or present an offer. Once an offer that comes in is acceptable, we novate or replace our agreement, which means we cancel it. It's now, it's basically conditionally released. The owner and the new buyer go under agreement and I get the difference between the original agreement and the net proceeds from the new agreement. So let's say it was a hundred and we sold it for 150, right? And then I had to pay seven, $8,000 in realtor commissions. Let's say I gave the seller or the buyer $5,000 seller's help and a $3,000 credit for carpet. So that's call it, $18,000 worth of cost, which means I net 132. The seller gets their 100 and I walk right. away with $32,000. So for in your experience, is it easier for you to negotiate a wholesale deal where you go in and say, hey, Mr. Seller, I'm going to pay you 100000 right now. You walk away. You don't have to do anything. Just have fun. Do whatever you want to do. Or you come in and say, hey, I'm going to pay you 110 But you need to wait like 90 days to get 110. What's been easier for you negotiating and how has that changed since you started doing it in 2009 to up yeah. until now? So um, the short answer is it's easier to get people to give you access and wait a little bit longer than it is to give them to come down $30,000, $40,000 more in price. Most people are more flexible on the terms than they are the price once it hits a certain level. Unless okay. it's a super distressed seller, right? But then we really ought to be able to buy it wholesale. Generally, when we move to Novation, it's because we have to. We've we've made a, a wholesale offer. The seller and their condition or their, their situation is not super distressed. And the property's in relatively good condition. So they may have a couple different options about the way that they go. So in my experience, which I've, I've done probably 1,500 Novation deals now, it's much easier to get somebody to do innovation than it is to get them to drop their price another 30 to 50K. And it's actually something with the people that we teach this to, we have to be aware of because you'll find your acquisitions agents will just go in and start pitching innovations to everybody because it's much easier to get a yes, which we don't necessarily want to do anyway. This game, this, this business is still about buying at a discount. So even when we know a deal is innovation, it is of utmost importance you still anchor with a cash offer. Because okay, people go, why don't they just list it? Well, what happens is, is when we anchor with a cash offer of 60, 
and they say, I won't take less than 110. And we come up to 68 and they come down to 105. And then we come up to 70 and they come down to 100. And they're like, that's it. Then we say, well, I do have this other program. It's called our equity protection program. Um, it seems to work very well with homes and sellers, much like your situation where the house is in pretty good shape and the sellers aren't in a huge hurry and they're looking to get more money than what our conventional cash offer would be. Um, did you want to spend maybe another five or so minutes and I could walk you through how that program works? Uh, the good news is it may result in me being able to come all the way up from 70 to 100. And then they say, well, yeah, I'd love to hear more about that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's very important that you anchor with a cash offer. And then we Fine. explain That's our ability to come up is because they're willing to be a little flexible on terms, which means I'm willing to be flexible on price. And then it seems like, hey, I've moved, you moved. I understand yep. why you're able to pay me more money. That makes a lot of sense. Um, heck, you came all the way from 70 to 100. This seems too good to be true. I'll go ahead and do the deal. Got it. So you're always leading with a wholesale cash offer deal and 100%. then use asset novation. Okay, 100%. interesting. Yeah. It's a big and mistake that a lot of people make when they start doing novations. They go, oh, nice house. The guy wants too much money. He's not super stressed. And they go, hey, I could do a novation for you and get you more money. First of all, sellers don't know what the heck a novation is. So we don't use that language when we talk to sellers. We say our equity protection or equity right. accelerator program. Um, right. That makes more sense, right? The actual language that we use to a seller. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then make sure a very that smart thing to do. Anchor with yeah. the cash offer as well. So, Eric, do you have any like max amount that you put into a house? So, of course, when you're buying, when you're signing an innovation agreement, you're not giving seller until you actually find the end buyer, right? But Let's say if the house needs some work to declutter, clean up, you're putting that money in? I have it now, mind you, really since 2019, right? So that'll be five years soon. Homes would just sell almost regardless of condition and price, right? Because the rates were so crazy. Inventory was out of whack. Um, so for the last five years, there was really no need to put any money into properties. If they were okay, right? Because if you had an okay house that was priced competitively, it was getting 10 offers. So okay house would be it's it's functional move in ready you know buyer may want to paint change carpet you're not doing any of that it's just functional move in ready yeah we don't passes FHA inspection I don't basically. do any repairs yeah. now that may start to change if inventory levels you know start to change and we have a house that's listed for two thirty and there's another house that's listed for two thirty and it's more updated our house will sit so we may decide to start doing more things like paint and carpet landscaping and list it for two forty. But as of right now, I don't I don't think ever in 1,500 deals I've ever renovated uh, a novation. Um, what we have done is when it goes under contract and there's FHA repairs or home inspection repairs, we've either given them a credit or I've gone ahead and done, you know, peeling paint, handrails, missing past the FHA inspection because the FHA appraisal flagged it, but I already have it sold. I have a mortgage commitment. It's appraised at full value. So I'm down the home stretch and I already know that it's sold and going to settlement. Um, but we spend on average less than $1,500 on our novations. And we never, to this point, do any of the work up front, unless it's we sent someone from our team to go declutter and like mop the kitchen floors and right. do it. Clean. So very, very minimal, very minimal. But... Almost zero, as close to zero as possible. Wow. So you would, if the house needed, let's say 5,000 bucks, 
and seller had absolutely no money and you could only make it work as an ovation by putting in 5,000, you would walk away. I don't think 5,000 changes, $5,000 worth of work doesn't make the house sellable versus non-sellable. So if it only needs 5,000, it doesn't need anything. <laughs> I mean, let's say, let's say if it need a new electric panel, right? Everything is fine, but just needs a new, I, I'm just, I'm just trying to get an idea of like, is there any amount of money you would put into the house to make the innovation deal work? Or you'd like, I haven't no, had we have, to. you haven't had to. So no. Okay. All right. But I could, but again, if I put the house on the market and it needs an electrical panel, what we're suggesting is that someone would look at the house and say, I'm not buying it because I don't like the electric. That just doesn't happen. Not in the world right. I live. Now, okay. could it get flagged on a home inspection? Well, yeah, but that means we've already, we've already gone under contract and it's, it's pending. Right. I think what you're asking, unless I'm misunderstanding is would I do that up front? Yeah. Yeah. Would you do any of that up front? No. So that's, I haven't. You haven't had to. Yeah. But I would consider it if market conditions start start to change. And but I have not had to do that ever. And certainly not in the last five years. If that were to start now, you got you got to remember like the ideal innovation is already a house that's in pretty good shape. But it might there might be one bedroom or two bedrooms where the carpet's kind of ripped up because maybe right. there was cats or maybe it has a smell. Or maybe they smoked in the house and a paint job would really help. Yeah, as 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 market conditions potentially start to change and inventory levels rise, um, if I think that that $5,000 for paint or carpet or electric would make, panel yeah. would make the difference, yes, I would spend the money up front, get the property active after the renovations are done, put a notice of interest on the property so my $5,000 is protected. I would 100% make sure that the, the title was clean, the payoff was clean and I had a limited POA from the seller so they couldn't skip out on the deal after I've spent 5,000. So yes, as market conditions potentially start to change, if that is the difference between selling it and not selling it, uh, then yes, I would do that. But a lot of people, the old way of doing innovations that was taught for years and years before I started sharing what I've been doing was a fix and flip strategy. People would put it under contract, renovate the entire home, never take deed, right? Never have to pay the original amount of money to the seller, just the renovation cost, then sell it to a retail buyer four months later, and then use the proceeds to pay off the seller the large amount and recoup their profit and reno money. I don't like that. I don't like reno. Yeah, no, I, I think you yeah. what you have is way superior than putting money into it. So yeah. let me ask you this. Do you get any pushback from the seller? Let's say I'm a seller, you know, just playing devil's advocate. I'm a seller. You put my house under contract for hundred thousand. You don't do anything. You spend like a couple hundred bucks decluttering. You get a contract for 150. Do you get any pushback from the seller? Just seeing how much money you're making similar to, you know, wholesaler assigning a contract for hundred thousand where the end buyer might only make 50,000, for example. Has that happened with you, you know, doing 1500 yeah. deals? Yeah, some, sometimes people get a little squirrely about that. Right. I think some of that is self-induced because a, a lot of uh, wholesalers or investors, their sales strategy is to walk the seller through ARV, renovation, profit, and they give the seller a mathematical explanation of why they can pay what they pay. And then when they make more money, the seller is going, well, that's not what you told me what was going to happen. You said you'd have to renovate it. You didn't renovate it. You said you were only going to make 30. You make 50. Our sales process, we never talk about ARV or reno cost to a seller. I think it's one of the worst things people do 
when they talk to sellers. Sellers, A, they don't care. Two, they're going to disagree with you on ARV. They're always going to think their house is worth more money. They're always going to think that your rehab cost is ridiculous and their house doesn't need that much work. So every time we walk somebody through a logical explanation of our offer, we typically alienate the seller and they think we're full of crap. So our sales process, when we communicate with a seller, seldom, probably never involves us walking them through. A, we don't talk about how much money I'm going to make. That's quite frankly, they don't care and it's not really any of their business. So when we make up an offer, it's about the problem that they're trying to solve, our ability to solve it and our willingness to pay a certain amount of money in exchange for solving that problem. Then the other thing is, is when we novate, we are extremely transparent about what we're doing. I'm going to, Sherrod, my hopes are that I take this property to the open market and I sell it for twice as much as what I'm willing to give you. Now it's real important that you or I are on the same page. I don't think I'm going to sell it for twice as much as I gave you. I don't think I'll sell it for less and lose money. The reality is I'm probably going to land somewhere in between. As long as I'm able to solve the problem that you want us to solve, which is getting you out of here in 65 days, making sure that you got $1,000 deposit that you can go uh, put down on your new apartment and that you don't have to make any repairs and you don't have to pay any commissions. And we're respectful of you being in the house and we'll work around access and all that good stuff so that you're not massively inconvenienced. I want to make sure you're okay. If I solve that problem for you and I make somewhere between a tiny bit of money and a whole lot, is there any concerns? Oh, so you're sharing all that information. Oh, hundred percent. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Um, in exchange, if you have any questions about why I make that amount of money, someone may come to me and buy it the way it sits and they may make a little bit of money. Someone may come to me and say, hey, I'll take it the way it sits, but I want you to put a new kitchen in it. Other people may say, hey, I'll take it the way it sits, but I want a kitchen and I want you to put a new roof on it. Now, if any of that happens, Sherrod, I want you to know, I wouldn't typically do that until after settlement. I won't be in here renovating your home, right? So one, I do it because I want to be respectful of, of your privacy and, and not disrupt you. And two, it's super risky. If I put a kitchen and a roof on and the buyer hasn't paid me yet, I don't like that exposure. So if we do that, we generally only ever do it after settlement so that you've gotten paid, I've gotten paid, the lender uh, you know, got the loan, the appraisal's done, everybody's settled up, and we try and do that after settlement as long as the buyer and, would agree to it. Uh, so now what I've done is, A, that happens, not very often, but two, if they see me making 50, after we've had that conversation, what might they think may happen after settlement because of me disclosing to them that sometimes we do repairs after closing? Right. So you're going in and doing repairs. So would you put money in escrow at that point? No, no. Here's what I'm saying. Sherrod, uh, there may be one of four people that would buy the home for me. Someone would buy it as is for me. Right. Sometimes someone would take the house the way it is, but they want me to put a new kitchen in. Right. Other folks may want a kitchen and maybe they want me to finish the basement. And then oftentimes someone will come to me, they want it completely renovated. So the good news is you don't have to worry about that. I don't ever, if I do a deal like that, I don't typically do that until after settlement. So you've got your money, the, you know, the, the appraiser, the, everything's done with the appraisal. I've gotten paid. So if we ever consider doing that, it wouldn't be until after we've gone to settlement. Yeah, so I don't have to deal with it. I'm out of right. there. Yeah. But now if you see that there's $50,000 spread on the settlement sheet, and we talked about sometimes I do repairs after closing, the seller may think, well, yeah, they made 50, but they might be putting right. a kitchen or a bath in. Or a and I put it right in the remarks. 
in the MLS, it says, ask list agent about possible renovations. Okay. Got so it. now if they ask me, hey, I see you're making 50, are you putting a kitchen in? If you're not, then you don't lie. But 95% of people never ask because they got right. what they want. Right. You're closing you, when you said you would. Have you had a seller refuse to sign closing yeah. dogs because they have? What, how yeah. did you handle that? How do you handle those situations? I can remember maybe three instances in the last 10 years. And two With things. Three out of 1,500? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's like. Uh, now, it's possible point. in the last three years. I'm not super involved in transactions, but I remember three. And each time we reminded them the contract that they signed and how all of this was spelled out in all the agreements. We sent them a copy of the MLS, which is public knowledge that was out there for them to see two months before we got the settlement. We also reminded them of their legal obligation to perform. And then after all of that, they still resisted. We offered a couple more dollars and all of a sudden, miraculously, they were okay with it. So the one They've thing- They've never had a deal fall through because no. of that. Okay. Um, the one that I did, they paid us $35,000 to get out of the deal. So- Oh, so you still made your money. Yeah. But, yeah. I, but I did not close. You did not close. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I was, I might've made more than 35, but yeah, like it was a classic example. It was an older guy. A couple of days later, his son-in-law, who was a real estate agent in Maryland, which is an hour away, told him he was crazy. He shouldn't have sold it for that much money. Um, we were training an acquisition agent that day and just happened to record the entire appointment. And the guy was saying that his dad's senile, he doesn't have memory. And the dude was the sharpest 80-year-old you ever want to hear. He walked the acquisition agent through every inch of the property. He remembered the date that he installed the windows, the date. like So we uh, we shared with him. Hey, they were just trying to get out of the contract somehow yes. using like whatever excuse they could. And it turned out he they just didn't. It was kind of crappy, but his plan was to move in with his daughter and son-in-law. And I think the real reason the son-in-law killed the deal is because he didn't want his father-in-law. Oh, so see. he gladly took $35,000 out of his father-in-law's savings account to pay to get out of the deal. It was kind of a weird situation, but you, you know, so technically that deal fell through, but they paid us. Back out of the contract. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Eric, what do you see? I mean, you, you teach like, you know, you're, you're known in the industry for Novation. What do you see investors making the biggest mistake with Novation? I think the biggest mistake they make is they wing it. What do you they, mean? Uh, like they just, the like how you were saying they just lead with Novation? No, they add like one line of language to their contracts and they just start writing up deals and listing them in the MLS. Um, they often, when, when you list it in the MLS, if you intend to sell, to a retail buyer where the agreement has to go from the deeded owner to the buyer. You can't have a listing agreement signed by Eric Brewer, the investor, and a sales agreement from the deeded owner and the buyer. You, you didn't have legal authority right. to ever list the property. So I see people make that mistake all the time. The other mistake they make is they use a document called an attorney in fact. It's not even a legal document. An attorney in fact is a person that can only be assigned by a limited POA. But because they get pushback or resistance from sellers signing a power of attorney, they rename it and modify the document to be an attorney in fact. And the reality is it's not an enforceable legal document. An attorney in fact is a person. And the only way you can assign someone as an attorney in fact is by using a limited POA. So they get that wrong. They don't sign the listing agreements correctly. 
Um, they're not disclosing to the seller correctly. So maybe they get a lot of pushback and resistance from title companies and sellers when the when the deal starts to come to light, right? And you have and lenders involved and appraisers involved and title attorneys involved, their deals blow up. Um, they make the mistake of leading with innovation um, rather than anchoring with a cash offer. They use words like innovation instead of a program that makes more sense to a seller. Um, they try and novate fixer-uppers because they just couldn't make a deal work on a wholesale deal. So they go, we'll novate it. And they pay too much money and take it to the MLS. Um, some people uh, write up contracts, list them on the MLS and novate them to cash buyers, which is really just wholesaling on the MLS. And they don't list in the MLS um, that FHA, VA, USDA, Fannie Mae financing is approved. So they, they, they don't ever take it to the retail market. They list it in the MLS and wholesale. There's a thousand mistakes. And the real problem is when they don't have the right paperwork or they're not doing it legally, it's not like wholesale. Like wholesale is the wild west. There's no legislation. There's no governance, right? You can release nine out of 10 contracts that you write up and nobody's ever going to get you in trouble. You can do that as a wholesale. It's crappy business, but a lot of people do it, unfortunately. When you start novating homes and you're listing on the multiple list, and you're involving licensed brokers, licensed buyer's agents, government-backed loans, appraisers, title companies that are insuring government-backed loans, you are setting yourself up to get in trouble. Got it. Yeah, so you're right. Because they don't want to take the time to learn, or they don't want to pay a coach, or someone gave them a group of documents and said, here's what I'm doing. Yeah, so that's the biggest mistake is they they just wing it. And maybe they have success and do deals and make money, but they're doing messy, maybe illegal deals. I, I don't, I mean, there's a lot that can go wrong. Um, so yeah. generally real estate investors and wholesalers are not the most organized folks in the world. I speak from experience. So um, it's really easy for them to create a big problem for themselves. Given where the market is right now with like seven and a half, eight percent interest rate, and you know, where the market was a few years ago with like three, four percent interest rate, how has that shifted for you with novation? Is it better time to do novation now, or was it you know better a couple of a few years ago with the lower interest um, rate? So the best market ever was two years ago. Like it's the most ridiculous lucrative real estate market ever. Novations, wholesale real estate agents, appraisers, everybody was making hand over fist. So better was 2021 is the best I've ever seen. I would say innovations are more important today. And here's why. As interest rates go up, pushes out a lot of savvy retail buyers, right? Like they're very rate conscious. Right or wrong, they're just not going to buy a house at 7%. They refuse. Right. Right? Um, or maybe they can't afford it. Maybe they can't get the type of house they want until rates come to 5.5%. Or they save up more money to offset the difference in interest rate, right? So a lot of those people are pushed out of the market. High credit score, high down payment people that are rate conscious, they're on the sidelines. A lot of investors, buy and hold investors, properties don't cash flow, right? At the numbers they used to because interest rates went from 4% to 7%. So landlords have drastically have to reduce what they can pay to wholesalers for their properties, right? right? Because a wholesaler, one of the best people you can sell to is a cash flow buy and hold investor because he's not looking to make spread. He just wants to make a couple bucks a month. Those people have either stopped buying 
or drastically reduce what they can pay. Some flippers that wholesalers were selling to, when the market tightened up and the rates first spiked and some markets values came down for a little bit, some fix and flippers lost their shirt because they had five or six properties that were half a million bucks. Values came down to 450. They lost two, $300,000. I know people in Tucson, Arizona, Las Vegas, Southern California that lost a million dollars in 2022 because of flip projects that depreciated 50 to hundred grand a piece. And they sold off 10 to 20 of them. Got it. So right now, the most active buyer in virtually every market is a low to mid credit score, low to mid down payment, FHA, VA, Fannie Mae borrower. And here's why. When interest rates were 3%, FHA, low to mid credit score, low to mid down payment, buyers could not compete. Right. They were competing against people putting half down, waiving inspections, waiving appraisals, doing appraisal waivers, hedge funds paying cash. The little guy with a 614 credit score and three and a half percent down couldn't sniff a house. True. So they were out of the market. So they don't care about the interest rates. Quite frankly, this is probably a low to mid credit score, low to mid down payment borrowers could be their last chance to buy a house. If interest rates drop back down into the mid fives or God below, you know, forbid they get below 5%, the market's going to go absolutely bananas again because all the hedge funds, the landlords, the, the, the scrupulous rate conscious, you know, large down payment, 800 credit score buyers are going to come flooding back to the yeah. market. And now the FHA guy with a little bit of money down and a, a, a marginal credit score isn't going to be able to buy a house. Yeah, so, that makes sense. So novations that are in good mechanical condition and maybe not fully renovated are the perfect property for those homes because they're 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 priced a little bit below renovated ARV, which means they can they can walk into a little bit of equity, right? They can get a little bit of seller's help. We're seeing on our novations now if it's a 250 house. We'll price it at two fifty five and offer right in the comments ten thousand dollars seller's help available, and FHA buyers flock to it. Right, right, because they're, so they're selling less out of pocket now. Correct, and most sellers still today are like seller's help. I thought homes were selling for over asking price. I'm not doing yeah. no seller's help. So real estate agents have a hard time getting sellers to do things like seller's help or rate buy down. Where I'm an investor, I don't have any emotional attachment to the property. I want to sell it. I want to sell it quick. And I want to get a reasonable price for it so I can move on to the next deal. So I think innovations today are far more important. But the best time to innovate a house was in 2022 when things were selling for. Yeah, you just put it on the market and get like anything. 10 offers. Like people are just competing yeah. with each other for offers. Yep. A few questions. Moving on to the next section that we have just to learn a little bit more about you. Yep. What do you do for fun? Other than no weight. For fun. I play basketball, coach basketball, or watch basketball. My son's a college uh, scholarship level basketball player at Seton Hill University. Um, oh, nice. So I'd love to go travel and watch him play. Um, he's an amazing, you know, tough kid. Um, he plays combo guard. He shoots from 30 feet away. That's awesome. Uh, my oldest daughter uh, is in third grade. Um, she's playing her first competitive basketball season. Most of my kids are in some type of sports. Um, so I love playing basketball and coaching or watching my kids play sports. Oh, that's awesome. Congratulations. Thanks. And book that has had the 
biggest impact in your life? It could be business, it could be personal, or it could be one of each. Um, five dysfunctions of a team. Five dysfunctions of a team. Yeah, that's a great book. Final question. If you could spend a day with anyone, dead or alive, who would you want to spend the day with and why? My grandfather. My grandfather. It's a great answer. Hi, Derek. Thank you so much. If anybody wants to listen to this podcast, wants to connect with you, what's the best way to uh, connect with you? Um, best way to get a hold of me is on Instagram. Um, I have about 10,000 followers. I'm super active. I put out content all the time where I teach novations, I coach sales, I give business advice, leadership advice. Um, also document my journey, you know, whether I'm at the gym or I'm watching basketball or I'm speaking in front of a thousand people. Um, I'm very active on social media. Best place to find me is on Instagram. It's Eric underscore Brewer underscore invest. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. We'll make sure we put that in the show notes. Thank you so much, Eric. This has been really, really fun talking to you. Thank you for sharing all the insight about Novation. Yeah. No sweat, man. Thank you. Thank you.